Welcome to the Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jere, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa. Greetings and uh, welcome to this edition of uh, Mansa's The Weekly Beat. I'm Arnold Segawa joining you from uh, Kampala, Uganda. And uh, as always, I'm never alone in the studio. We do have a, a scattered team that uh, helps us to unpack what has been making news across uh, the African continent. And of course, uh, over and above our dear continent, uh, Dumi Jerry joining me from Johannesburg, South Africa. And uh, today we do have a, a yet another guest, Kingsley Pungong, who's joining us from uh, Charlotte, uh, it's, uh, North Carolina, USA. Uh, let me start with you, Kingsley. How are you doing? How is Charlotte treating you? I'm doing tremendous and Charlotte is good. Uh, it's quiet and subdued, uh, but I'm feeling great, man. Thanks for having me. Okay, uh, Dumi, how's it going over there? Things are going all right. Uh, I'm all right too. Still very much disappointed in South Africa. There's still no vaccine rollout plan. <laughs> it's like that uh, rich high school kid that did everything but uh, didn't know what to do with it. Anyway, let me stop here. But everything is fine, Arnold. <laughs> okay, uh, stopping when we're just starting. Um, maybe I should have mentioned uh, Kingsley happens to be a, an entrepreneur. And uh, today the theme that we're actually going with is uh, on the football scene. My apologies to my American friends. Uh, some call it soccer. I prefer to call it football, as the queen would advise. Kingsley uh, happens to be an entrepreneur and an investor with the vast experience starting from uh, running global business uh, with a focus on Africa and more so on football. Uh, the reason why I'm re-emphasizing football is because just a few days ago, the the football world was uh, stunned by the Sunday's news, that revelation that uh, close to 12 major European clubs, uh, including five Premier League clubs for our people who watch the Premier League in the UK, wanted to uh, have a sort of a breakaway league called the European Super League. And uh, I'm sure you're wondering why we're going on about this, but uh, we're going to unpack how this uh, could have trickled down effect on uh, the African scene. Um, Kingsley, let me start with you again. What did you make of this particular revelation, almost breakaway uh, in the Super League? I wasn't surprised, uh, as say, because I've always known that at some point, the rich owners want some degree of autonomy. Um, because, I mean, these guys have inflated egos and they'll find it exceedingly difficult to understand why they should be spending uh, billions or millions on clubs and uh, some individuals out of Switzerland are dictating to them what to do. Uh, I think they just went about it the wrong way. They failed to... Uh, take into consideration the socio-political context, the socio-cultural context, which is very different in Europe than in America. And uh, it ended up coming off very badly, and it's a PR disaster, if I'm honest. Mm. Do me PR disaster for you? Definitely. Um, up to the point until it was announced, it seemed as if these guys had done a very good job of keeping it a hush-hush job, a secret, because no one knew about it. No one had mentioned this whole European Super League before then. But obviously there were talks going on in the background and all that. So they had done a very good job of, you know, keeping it a good secret. But then the rollout now, um, yeah, I think that left something to be desired. But I got to agree with uh, Kingsley uh, that um, at the end of the day, there are some people who just never get enough, right? The billionaires that own these clubs, they just couldn't pass up on an opportunity to make more money, to make more profits. 
And that's how we ended up in this thing. But I want to tell you about this guy, Charlie Stitliano. He's probably like somebody that a lot of people don't know, but he is actually the guy that is behind the whole thing. Mm. Incredibly well-connected guy. Um, and his aim was just to, you know, commercialize European football, particularly in the U.S., you will remember the Man United uh, and uh, Real Madrid game in 2014 at Michigan Stadium, attended by close to 120,000 people. Charlie was behind that. A lot of people who know now about uh, Ferentino Perez. Yes, yes. Real Madrid's uh, president. Mm. Oh, yes, yes, yes. But all of those guys, they were following a plan that had been carefully crafted by this Charlie guy. He's actually mm. called Champagne Charlie. Well, I love that we're talking about egotistical people. Well, there's a way that uh, Kingsley had put it earlier on. But uh, one of the reasons why we want to actually pick Kingsley's mind is uh, he happens to be a, a club owner himself. Last I checked, he uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> owns a club in uh, the Czech Republic. As a club owner, Kingsley, if you're pumping in millions and millions, I'm not trying to play devil's advocate here, but you're pumping in millions, you're a Kingsley, you're an Abramovich, I mean, at what point do you wake up and say, you know what, I need to see something at the bottom line? You know, people buy clubs for different reasons. I think the motivation of people like Abramovich is to, is quite different from the motivation of the Fenway Group. The Fenway Group are a company that make money from sports. They have LeBron James as a partner signed under the management company. They own the Boston Red Sox. They're in partnership with Redbird Capital and have raised significant amounts of money to invest in sports with the sole purpose of making money. You have the Glades who put a lot of money into sports and have grown value over time. And the last I checked, uh, one of the Glazers liquidated part of their shares for almost 100 million. So he became 100 million richer. Then you have people like Abramovich, a guy, an unknown guy who came from Russia, needed to rehabilitate his reputation and was doing it for his love for football and ego. I don't think he was doing it because he wanted to make more money. Uh, but then again, uh, you have to understand that when you buy into clubs, you're just a custodian. Uh, as they say in Europe, if you take away football and take away beer, there will be a revolution. The people still feel like they own this institution, you know? And this is what, what the Americans do not understand, that you come in here, I live in America. They have a single entity structure that rewards failure. If you become the last in the league in America, you pick first in the draft. So if we was in America, maybe mm. Cristiano Ronaldo will be in Malaga instead of Real Madrid. Maybe he'll be in Getafe. <laughs> and so that creates an equilibrium. So it's a different context. But in Europe, if you see how the fans react, or how the pundits react. It's almost like they are stakeholders in a club where somebody else is the owner. I think personally, it is a great initiative because people who talk about greed are just hypocrites. Nobody has given me a great reason. But Kingsley. Yes. Here's a reason. You're not rewarding someone's hard work. This is why we watch the FA Cup. You know, you have plumbers, you have painters, someone whose day job is actually a plumber. And then he goes on the side and plays for a one Barnsley and then they make it to the quarters. And that's not the ideal that was being represented here, the sportsmanship, knowing that, you know what, if I work very hard once upon a time, I can be a Jamie Vardy. Uh, Here, they just walk up and chose, let's say, 12 clubs. And the most painful thing is Ajax, which has four Champions Leagues, didn't make the cut. Arsenal, that has only gotten to one Champions League final, made the cut. If you're saying it's actually achievement, where was Ajax? You make a fair point, but that's why it's called the FA Cup. These guys simply said, they didn't say, we're going to break away and disconnect with the rest of football. They said, 
It's not mutually exclusive having a European Super League and at the same time playing in the domestic leagues. So that wouldn't have affected tournaments like or competitions like the FA Cup. I'm not saying it was correct to break away. I'm saying the discussion is worthwhile. It shouldn't have been dismissed the way it was dismissed. It was only dismissed the way it was dismissed because the method they went about to disclose the information uh, was clandestine and it came across as suspicious. Let me play you this scenario. If after the meeting with UEFA, all the 14 clubs or 12 clubs said, we are no longer playing in the Champions League, we are not happy with UEFA, this would have been totally different. The fans would have been mad at UEFA. So what I'm telling you is the method. If you are talking about greed, the moment you call a tournament Champions League and there are four teams participating from one country, is no longer a Champions League. UEFA is only expanding this because they want money as well. So I don't want anybody making the argument, the moral argument and talking about money because it's all about money. We cannot dismiss that. UEFA is doing this for money. They're expanding the Champions League for money. It's a, an issue of control. It's territorial. If six teams move out of the English Premier League, the English Premier League collapses and it is the biggest export of England. The government would not have allowed that to happen. They have several tools in their toolbox to cause serious havoc. And that's why that scared everybody. On the other hand, UEFA as an institution has nothing bigger than the Champions League. If they lose it, it's over. So you could see that even though all these strong arguments are made and passionate arguments, if you look at it from the facts, you would see that it's it's all down to vested interest and commercial viability of what each party has. So I actually think that European Super League is an argument worth uh, exploring. But the way in which these guys engaged in bringing it to life was totally uh, acceptable. And I think it was a massive failure on the part. Domi? Earlier on, Arnold, you mentioned uh, Arsenal, right? They up there uh, together with uh, Tottenham Hotspurs. I don't think those two deserve to be in the Super League in any case. But my issue is bigger than that. UEFA seemed to be making so much noise about these six clubs living. Much more noise than all the other football bodies, uh, for example, in uh, Spain and all the other countries, right? And what puzzles me is there was so much noise. I mean, literally it was uh, dead. And by Wednesday, Thursday, it was, yeah, buried underground. I mean, Arnold, you always say the African Union is like a toothless dog. I feel UEFA is the same. If... UEFA could actually take such bold moves against racism. I think for me, that's the day I'll start respecting them and also coming to their side. I'm actually on the side that says the Super League should actually just go on. Yes, obviously it's not going to go on, but I'm actually on the side that says for the fact that UEFA does not address racism in football, then they shouldn't have a leg to stand on. They shouldn't have a mouthpiece to use to talk about anything that's going on with the Super League until they address those issues. Because for me, those are more important issues. I'm in a bit of two minds about it. Uh, but the one side of me says, well, let's stick it to UEFA's face and just go ahead with the Super League. Why? Because UEFA does nothing when it comes to racism. But when it comes to money issues that hit their pocket, they want to jump up and down. I would actually add that. And Abramovich shows up at your club and spends millions and you're winning trophies. At that point, you have to realize that it's commerce because he's spending for a reason. And this is why fans need to understand that the global football is changing. A fan in Manchester, as passionate as he is, he's no more valuable to Manchester United than a fan in Lagos, Nigeria. Mm. In fact, there are more Arsenal fans in Nigeria than they are in England. There are about 13 million Arsenal fans in Nigeria. 
The world is changing. Football is becoming globalized. And Europeans want to have all the spoils to themselves. It's not fair. Uh, we need to create a more democratic and more decentralized world. That's my take. You know, if you are selling TV rights to Africa, then Africans really need to be playing in this league. If you look at all the rules with restrictions and stuff, I'm one for Super League. Mm -hmm. The Italians are saying just three non-European players can play in the Italian league, which means there's very little representation for Africans via Italy into the Champions League. But this, the rights of the Champions mm -hmm. League are being sold all around Africa. I mean, what kind of world are we living in? So you see, there's a catalog of inconsistency. I don't think the Super League is a mm. bad idea. I just think that the execution has been poor. But if all the talk is all curing symptoms and not the disease, and if they don't look at the root causes of why those clubs decided to break away, I bet you we humans forget fast. In the next 10 years, somebody will build a strong case and strong PR. And I'm telling you this will happen because rich guys have a way of doing things. It only takes 13 more billionaires. You do not watch the Champions League because Ronaldo plays for Juventus. You watch the Champions League because of Ronaldo. If Ronaldo and Messi were playing for another team, you'll be as curious to watch. So don't underestimate the power of those actors. Today, if you look at social media, Ronaldo has more followers on social media than the entire Premier League put together. That tells you that the world is more interested in some of these actors than the teams. So nothing stops these guys from creating teams, signing the best players to those teams and creating a league. Might sound strange, but mm, it could happen. Mm. It's happening in cricket. Yeah. So I think fans are overestimating the value of their proposition and, and the value of them as domestic fans because there are fans all over the world. That's the truth. A fan of Liverpool today with all his passion singing and drinking beer every weekend is no more important than fans in Singapore. That's the truth. So I think English football needs to look within itself, uh, not just look on the commercial side, look on the moral side. If when a banana is thrown on the pitch in the Champions League in Eastern Europe, everybody came out with the same vigor and passion, we'll not be in the situation we are in. But nobody talks. Yep. Somebody mentions a discussion about creating a segregated structure that will affect the powers that be commercially. The world goes haywire. I just feel that all the noise, there's a lot of hypocrisy. And I think when it calms down, people will go back to reality. Hmm. You've raised some very interesting points of the bananas. Uh, just less than three weeks ago, actually, a uh, Valencia player, uh, Mukta Diakabi, was actually uh, racially abused and his team walked off the field. And uh, up to now, we're just seeing a bunch of statements. So I do hear you uh, when it comes to that. I wish everyone went up in arms uh, when uh, a racial slur was sunk you know, to a black player. But uh, as we wrap up, guys, uh, to bring it back to the continent, uh, there's been talk. We have a new CAF president here on the continent, uh, Patrice Motsepe. This idea looks like something Patrice would jump onto if you ask me. He's your quintessential businessman. Your two cents on the same uh, going forward. Uh, some people are arguing this could actually work for Africa. Dumi, let me start with you. Kingsley, you wrap it up. Okay, so early on, Kingsley was talking about uh, billionaires. Patrice happens to be a billionaire. Now, explain to me why a billionaire would uh, stop running his club and go and become the head of African football if there was no mm. uh, some sort of other bigger billions involved in that. Maybe he's another Kingsley. He does it for the sport. 
<laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> it's for the money. But anyway, um, <laughs> when you look at the almost the bromance that's there between um, Gianni Infantino and uh, Patrice Motsepe, you can tell that there's something that's almost like this that's coming. And um, I think it was last month when um, Patrice was elected. Mm, mm. Then we had the CEO of um, Simba uh, Football Club in Tanzania saying it was great catching up with uh, the FIFA president, the rollout of the African Super League. It went viral, yeah. Yeah, with 20 permanent uh, member clubs is underway. Who owns Simba? Mohamed Deoji, another billionaire. So while the idea is appealing to me, I think on the continent is a bit more of a tricky rollout. Because, I mean, Africa has got about, what, 55 or so um, countries, give or take, and uh, two disputed uh, territories or whatever. But how many teams will actually make up the 20? So you probably have, uh, obviously, uh, that's the only time the North Africans want to be included in Africa when it comes to matters like this. All the other times they want to be Middle East. But yes, <laughs> we'll have teams from Egypt, from Tunisia, um, Nigeria, uh, South Africa, obviously. Hold that thought, because as we wrap up, I want to ask you for your uh, four clubs that you would want to see in the Africa Super League if it were to happen. Just uh, compile your list. Uh, Kingsley, uh, your two cents on the Super League. I also think the Super League is one of those things which, great idea, magnanimous idea, but was poorly announced. The president of FIFA arrived in Africa. I unilaterally just said, I want to give Africa a Super League. I think that's a touch patronizing. Nobody was consulted. The president of the FAs were not consulted. CAF was not consulted. And nobody actually pointed this out. That's why I say, just imagine he declared the same in Europe. It would have been total, total confusion. Now, the idea in itself, I think it has its merits. In Africa, we have a problem. We don't have a, a top product. Most of our teams play in mediocre and underdeveloped leagues. I mean, the big teams. For all the work Moshi Katumbi is doing in Congo, he still plays on Sunday pitches and he's running a world-class club. So I think for Africa to really have a top-level competition, you have to be have a grouping of really, really big clubs. Esperanza Tunis, Mazembe, uh, Ashanti Kotoko, Alali, Orlando Pirates. You create a league that will have an upward mobility because we have a disconnect between our developmental football and the leagues. So players leave academies in Africa straight to Europe and some of them, most of those actually fail. That's a discussion for another day. So we need a platform that will showcase players in the continent. It would be a good product for television on the continent. It would help in the trickle-down effect of football within the continent. And you give Africans an option. If I break down European football to you today, you realize that European football is, is designed to be hugely disadvantageous and discriminatory against Africans. Let me start. Germany, Africans cannot play in the reserve in Germany, which means it's very difficult as a pathway for Africans to go into the Bundesliga. England, if you look at the work permit rules before, you needed to have played 75% of your games for your national team to qualify for a work permit in England. That rules England out. France, there are international restrictions. Uh, you go to, uh, to Belgium, and Africa needs to be paid 10,000 euros a month, at least minimum salary to qualify for a work permit. Now, most clubs... 90% of clubs are not prepared to pay that for a young player coming out of Africa. So African football, with 54 countries producing a lot of players, has a problem if he doesn't develop a league of its own. And it's, it's mm. critically mm. important that we look at developing a strong league on the continent. But then you have political issues, you have issues with visas, 
and cross-border travel in Africa. You have issues of logistics with movement. You have issues of the weather, dry, rainy season. So there are a lot of issues that need to be looked at to make it work. But is it an idea that has to be considered? I think it's the must-consider idea in my book. Do me your three clubs that you have in mind, uh, cutting it from four, if I were to have an African Super League. So number one would be Asek Mimosa. Uh, so that's Ivory Coast. I would go for Tipi Mazembe DRC. And obviously, Orlando Pirates. That's my team in South Africa. You say three, but I'm going to throw in the fourth one, even though the fourth one is never <laughs> going to make it in the, in the league. He doesn't have enough money anyway. It's Dynamos from Zimbabwe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Kingsley, your four clubs. <laughs> my four clubs. I like the branding of the South African clubs. So I'll go for Mabalodi Sundance. I would go for Tepe Mazembe because of the work Katumbi has done. I would go for Alali, and either it's going to be between Esperanza Tunis and, and Zamalek, one of those two. That would be mm. my four. And yours, Arnold? I want to go for uh, Express FC in Uganda, Villa Football Club still in Uganda. I see you're very patriotic. Uh, yeah, I don't know what you guys are sipping. Eh? Uh, Esperanza used to do it for me. I, I really fancy them. Then... Uh, when I was studying a few ages ago, I, we had a fight in a hall in South Africa. Not a fight fight, but a, a verbal fight as the South African uh, contingent wanted to watch their local clubs. I think it was Amazulu playing uh, uh, Pirates. It wasn't even a very big, big game, not like a Soweto Derby. But they were that passionate as Liverpool was taking on, uh, it was a Champions League, uh, I think, final. But they were saying, no, no, we have to watch our guys. It made me realize how big South African football is. And for the fan, you know, to be that passionate, to step away from your Liverpool Champions League final and say, no, we, we got to watch Amazulu. I would throw in Amazulu, hey. Well, they've got a new sponsor now. Or well, a new boss, rather. <laughs> With more money, actually. So, hey, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, KZN all the way. Uh, many thanks, Kingsley, for making time to speak to us. I know we woke you up early in the morning, uh, Kingsley. Pleasure. Uh, joining us from uh, Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. That's uh, Kingsley uh, Pungong. He's a club owner, uh, entrepreneur, and investor. If I go on about his resume, we might be here for another 30 minutes. Uh, as always, Dumi Jere joining us from uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. I'm Arnold Sagawa. If you uh, missed anything in the course of a week, uh, you can always uh, check out the website. That's mansamedia.af on Twitter. It's at Mansa underscore media. Uh, from me and the entire team, have a lovely one. I do support your African teams. If you can, get a jersey. Have a lovely one. The Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jerry, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa. Mansa.